0: Welcome to the Broadcast Dialogue Podcast, the show all about the media industry in Canada. Every year, the Canadian Media Concentration Research Project puts out a series of reports on the state of Canada's telecom, internet, and media industries. On this episode of Broadcast Dialogue, the podcast, Dwayne Winsick, professor at Carleton University's School of Journalism and Communication, on the latest growth of the network media economy report, and among other things, why he's calling for the resignation of CRTC chair Ian Scott. So speaking in very broad strokes to start with, Dwayne, what is the state of the network media economy? What highlights do you want to start with?
1: I think it's important for us to realize that the overall media economy in Canada continues to grow and to grow uh, quite uh, briskly. It's now an over $80 billion uh, a year uh, set of industries. And so I think this is important to help set the context for the way Canadians think about uh, the media economy Uh, here. It's often seen as uh, a pygmy alongside the American colossus, and of course we are uh, a much smaller media market, but once we move beyond just the reference to the United States and we look globally, Canada is actually a fairly large uh, media economy consistently coming in in the top uh, ten, which means that we punch well above our weight. So I think this is useful for us to understand, uh, especially amidst The Cassandra calls, uh, I think a lot of them are about uh, the catastrophe uh, or the crisis besetting Canadian media, a set of claims that are often made uh, in very general and generic terms, and they do have bite when you look at particular media, but they don't apply to the media as a whole.
0: I think in particular this year, there was a lot of discussion that the broadcasting and print sectors are specially challenged and in some cases circling the drain. Are you saying that that's exaggerated?
1: I think if we zero it in and we talk about advertising supported broadcast television and newspapers, then we have a problem. So there's definitely uh, problems in those two uh, sectors. Advertising in those two sectors continues to uh, I would go as far as say to plunge uh, the drop off in advertising uh, year over year between uh, or for newspapers uh, was very substantial uh, between two thousand and sixteen and seventeen and the slide continues for broadcast uh, television so I think we do have some very real problems there, and I think we should focus. Our attention uh, on what can be done uh, about that if anything and my view is that we can do something about it but we have to realize first and foremost that uh, the scale of the carnage is limited to basically two or three sectors and those two or three sectors have one thing in common and that is that they are overwhelmingly dependent upon advertising. And there's two things that are going on uh, with respect to advertising that I think are crucial. And too often we only hear about one of those. The two things that are crucial are, one, the thing that we don't hear about is that advertising revenue across all media really seems to have plateaued and by some measures uh, is actually in decline. And I don't think we pay enough attention to that because too often the uh, fire and fury is focused on just internet advertising and the outsized rule of two giants in that area, Google and Facebook, which dominate uh, about a little under three-quarters of uh, internet advertising in Canada. And the story that we constantly hear is that these two vampire squids from Silicon Valley are sucking the lifeblood out of the immediate uh, writ large. And I don't believe this uh, to be be an accurate understanding of the uh, situation.
0: You have a you have a quote in the report. For those who long to repatriate advertising dollars from Google and Facebook, such a strategy is like rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic. Do you want to talk about that statement?
1: Sure. I mean, that encapsulates the long-winded answer that I just gave you or uh, comments I just gave you there. But, you know, what I'm really trying to say there is two things. One is that this advertising spending across all media in Canada is really flatlining. And if we switch the metric to inflation-adjusted dollars and then we start to look at it relative uh, to the size of the whole economy or on a per capita basis, it's actually in decline. And so what we're seeing is an intensifying struggle between traditional advertising-supported media and the digital uh, behemoths, Facebook and uh, Goliath, over a shrinking pie. And, you know, to focus all the energy and the fire and fury Mm -hmm. on Facebook and Google isn't going to do a bloody thing about the fact that the pie is, at best, staying fixed, more likely declining. So we're missing this huge thing, and the second thing is that internet advertising and the large players like Google and Facebook have enormous economies of scale, and you know we're, that's not going to change by trying to repatriate uh, Canadian dollars, as some uh, would say. So I think we're we're missing the target on two uh, two measures here. And third, the really important thing here is that. Advertising is not the center of the media economy, subscriber fees are, and it's now over five to one, it's almost six to one ratio of the amount of money that people spend on subscription fees versus advertising uh, revenue in the overall media economy. So even if we were to somehow repatriate the dollars from um the you know the vampire squids of silicon valley uh, and i don't think that that's going to happen uh, even if we did it's it's going to be basically going after a kind of small and receding part of the media economy so it's it's basically like Uh, chasing the the receding waterline, if you will. I just think that's a really bad strategy.
0: Are there particular factors at play in that stagnation in advertising revenue? You also point out in the report that from a broadcasting perspective in the U.S., they have been able to uh, take a little bit more of the share of internet advertising from the digital giants.
1: Yeah, I think this goes down to the structure of the Canadian uh, industry that's also uh, working against us, and that is that we have high levels of vertical and diagonal integration. And by those two concepts, what I mean is vertical integration is where you basically have a bunch of telephone companies or telecom service providers the ones that sell us uh, mobile phone service and Internet access and plain old telephone service, they own all of the uh, major commercial television services here in Canada. And we don't have that in the United States. And my thought is that without having standalone television service ownership groups, basically what we've done is we've subordinated this really important uh, media form and cultural form Uh, an entertainment source, we've subordinated it to the telephone company's broader strategy, which is basically to flog as many cell phone uh, and Internet access subscriptions as possible. And I don't think they give a damn about TV. So I think we've put them, you know, we put them in the broom closet, so to speak, in these much larger corporate entities. And the diagonal integration, this is where you have the broadcast TV uh, groups owned by the pay TV service uh, groups, whereas in the United States we don't have that. We have, I mean, we have it to some extent, but not. It's not the core of the U.S. television system. In the United States, we have significant broadcast television ownership groups, and we have significant pay TV service ownership groups, and both of those are, by and large, independent from the telecoms. Uh, operators, And I think what that means, the bottom line, is that basically the broadcast TV ownership groups, they're going to be fighting for their lives. They're fighting to maintain uh, their share of advertising. They are fighting to maintain their audience share and viewership uh, shares within a fast-changing environment. And when they're acquiring rights, they're not doing it like our uh, operators here are in Canada, where they acquire, you know, the rights first and foremost for their pay TV services, and broadcast is basically an afterthought, and, you know, maybe it'll go there at some point in time. In the United States, the broadcast groups, they're buying rights, and they're exploiting them to the greatest extent that they possibly can. And that's why I think they're doing... A lot better, and I don't want to make anybody to walk away from this saying that you know things are absolutely glorious uh, in the United States. They're not. They are, however, a far cry better than they are here in Canada, and, and that actually is a situation in countries around the world, except for Italy, kind of stands in a similar place to us. But I think you know, what we find around the world uh, is similar to what we find in the United States: is that a lot of uh, countries have strong independent broadcast TV ownership groups, and they also have strong public service broadcasters, So, especially in the European uh, tradition. And this is really important because what it does is it recognizes that, look, advertising is a fickle uh, mate, and if we really want to have a – Uh, a media uh, environment that is fit for a democracy and a lively culture, we have to realize that cultural forms like television and, and journalism, these things have always been subsidized by either governments, by advertising or by wealthy patrons. And now as advertising starts to fall away, either because that ceiling is coming down slowly or because the digital Goliaths are, are you know s- stealing it away, as, as we too often focus on here in Canada, the fact of the matter is that advertising is disappearing. And if we want to have decent television, uh, decent journalism, we're going to have to start thinking about proper public service funding.
0: Speaking of the fight for eyeballs, Netflix is now the fifth largest TV service operator in Canada.
1: Yeah. Yeah, this is uh, quite a stunning um, uh, rise of this um, new form of over-the-top television. And I think, you know, Netflix is our poster child of what Internet streaming television looks like. But I also think it, it represents a model of television that... Uh, Canadian TV service uh, groups have been too slow uh, to pick up on. I mean, there have been Canadian scholars writing about this for 20 years where they basically said increasingly television is not going to be organized linearly and it's not going to be supported by advertising. It is going to look much more like book publishing or film production and distribution. That is where people buy copies of a TV program that they want to watch uh, directly, or they pay for a subscription. And what uh, the ownership groups do is they put together a catalog of titles from which people uh, pick and choose. So in this view, TV is looking more like the publishing uh, model and Netflix is the embodiment of that. Netflix is a is a great model um, because it encapsulates what people have been saying for twenty years, and they're the first ones to kind of nail it down.
0: In terms of other shifts in the landscape, Telus emerged as the second largest communications and media company for the first time last year. Are mm-hmm. there any other significant changes or moves forward by any of the of the uh, bigger companies?
1: TELUS is an interesting example because TELUS is one of, is our only kind of standout large entity that is not vertically integrated. And I remember having a discussion with a VP at TELUS, oh, six, seven years ago, and that person's actually gone on into uh, the television industry. Uh, I talked to him about vertical integration and his point was blunt. What do telephone companies know about producing TV? and we don't need to own the content. We just need to own the carriage uh, infrastructure and we can then you know, arrange to provide a, a cable-like service over the top of that uh, infrastructure, if we will. And so TELUS has eschewed the vertical integration strategy and I think they've done quite well. And in fact, TELUS's strategy is more in line with what we've seen in the United States. You know, I I do think TELUS is a significant uh, player um, and the idea that it's a second-largest player and has no TV holdings is uh, important. I think what's also interesting is Quebecor continues to uh, nail down its place within the mobile wireless sector in the province of Quebec and in the uh, national capital uh, region here in Ottawa. Um, they're up to now around 15% market share by revenue and subscriber. And it shows in Quebec. I mean, Quebec has seen a, uh, a closing of the historical gap between adoption levels for mobile phones. Um, pricing is much, much lower uh, in Quebec uh, than it is in many other areas of the country that don't have a strong fourth uh, player. And we're seeing that with more affordable rates, we're seeing the higher levels of adoption, and we're seeing the higher uh, levels of usage by people in Quebec. So this is why it's so important that we focus on these, these kind of arcane structural features of the industries that I, I do, because at the end of the day, the, the the real point is that all of this conditions the way we adopt different media and communication technologies, and how we actually use those things, whether or not we have the widest range of choice available to us, or if we're constrained by uh, expensive subscription fees, really punishing uh, the low data caps, things that basically tell people, look, you're using your phone too much, you're using the Internet too much, you know that's not what we need. You know, mom, mothers and fathers can tell their kids that they're using the internet too much, but large companies should not be using uh, price to discipline people's use of the media. I just think that's wrong.
0: You're you're a very outspoken critic of our, uh, you know, communications regulator. What factors do you think are holding the network media economy back?
1: The fact that we do have these very powerful players. Uh, at the top, who have shown that they will go to the wall to protect their uh, position. But these entities have shown that they will brook very, very little uh, dissent uh, from the regulator and from those within their ranks. And we see, you know, I think J.P. Blay stands out as one of the kind of pioneering heads of the CRTC and even, you know, Independent academics like myself, we thought, you know, he's, he's too constrained, and people criticized him at some point in time, but I always realized that the man had a realistic view of what was, it, was possible, and at least tried to push the envelope there. And we saw the cost, uh, or the price that he had to pay in terms of the abuse uh, he took from uh, the industry, from some journalists. And so I think all this ends up leading to this idea that too often, the heads of the CRTC have willingly relied upon uh, the industry that they regulate for guidance. And now we look at Ian Scott. He's basically put out a number of decisions and reports um, that show a man very comfortable in his skin and willing to uh, push against the grain by calling for things like a ISP tax um, or levy, I should call it properly, uh, to fund Canadian content, which is a line that no, none of his uh, predecessors have been willing to endorse, which I think is just a silly idea. And it's to basically tie the internet, basically to harness the internet and uh, telecommunications to the preservation of uh, television. Like the um, the cable TV model that we've had since the 1970s, so to push for that today, I think is is just fundamentally wrong. The infrastructure today of the internet is a multi-purpose information infrastructure, not uh, like cable television, which was dedicated to distribution of broadcasting. So he's done that. the the, the communication monitoring report, the data. Uh, releases this year are, are late and they're wonky. Um, the, the, the quality of the data that's being released, the, the data is just garbage. Not all of it, but there's too many segments on it. It's just junk. And you know to, to not be mindful of that and to be so late with questionable data uh, this year amidst the sweeping reviews of the broadcasting, telecommunications, copyright and radio communication act is just it's it's just irresponsible. I won't bother uh you know <laughs> going into too much more detail but no, um I think uh, the gig is up for for this guy, at least in terms of any kind of uh legitimacy as a Uh, independent regulator capable of independent thought showing the spine uh, that's necessary to be an effective regulator in a context where you have uh, persistently high levels of concentration plus the unique characteristics uh, of vertical and diagonal integration in Canada. We don't need a captured regulator in this context. We need a regulator that's going to have as much confidence and uh, Spying as, as they can muster. He's not the man.
0: So looking forward into 2019, what do you think the primary challenges are for the network media sector?
1: The government itself, for the last three governments, have not had a coherent communications policy that informs the actions of the independent regulators and policy shops like ICET, uh the Department of Canadian Heritage, and the CRTC. And so we kind of see them all running off in their own, own direction, and oftentimes at cross purposes with one another. So I think the government needs to get some coherence here so that said uh, Canadian Heritage, the CRTC, and the Competition Bureau are able to all be pulling in the same direction and not tripping and stumbling all over one another. With the uh, legislative review on the table, I think we've got some uh, great opportunities there. The Competition Bureau is leading a review of uh, the st- status of competition in uh, broadband uh, internet uh, markets across the country. That could be good. We do need to, to deal with the, the significant market power that uh, the digital giants, Facebook and Google, have amassed within internet, uh, the internet advertising uh, market and the way in which their business models are built upon this kind of unlimited harvesting of people's personal information and the maintenance of large treasure troves of personal data that are susceptible to misuse or as we're learning through the Facebook Cambridge Analytica data breach that has been uh, preoccupying the ETI committee in Parliament uh, since March. And I think there's some really good things going on there, and I think there's a great opportunity to actually establish some functionally equivalent standards for personal data and privacy protection that can apply across the board to the digital giants, as well as our telecoms and television uh, providers, because right now there's a big push uh, amongst the vertically integrated television and telecom providers and across the television industry to actually intensify the collection of uh, audience data from set-top boxes, from people's mobile devices and Internet access uh, that's used to basically watch TV. There's a push, and it's taking place within the CRTC to greatly liberalize or open up much greater uh, data collection on the grounds that they need to have as much access to people's data as the Googles and Facebooks of the world in order to effectively compete uh, with them for scarce advertising dollars and mindshare uh, our attention. But my thought is that this is a race race to the bottom, and if we get it right, if, you know, Eddy is able to use its report to come out with stronger recommendations for legislation that deal with uh, this privacy uh, issue, we can then transpose really high bar standards that are equivalent, say, to the general data protection rules in the EU and apply those across the board in Canada. I think that's really good, you know, really good possibility. And, you know, I'm hopeful that we're moving there right now, especially, I think Google and Facebook are uh, very concerned. I had uh, Kevin Chan in my classroom. You know, he quipped that, you know, who knew that they would go from being, you know, the darling of the world to, you know, uh, being accused for destroying democracy and, and the universe. You know, there's a lot of things that are going on. And I want people who are listening to this to realize that I'm alert to um, the full range of issues and that it's not just the Canadian telecom giants that need to be uh, challenged, but that we do have other entities that, like Facebook and Google that need to be brought to heel. But we also need to get a better scope of their prominence within the Canadian mediascape because they are not nearly the um, giants that many people uh, make them out to be within Canada.
0: Thanks so much for joining us, Duane.
1: Well, thank you very much for uh, having me, Connie, and appreciate the opportunity to speak with you.
0: Thanks for listening to Broadcast Dialogue. For more information about the podcast or to receive exclusive access to our weekly briefing about the Canadian media industry, visit us at broadcastdialogue.com. Don't forget to like us on Facebook, connect with us on LinkedIn, and follow us on Twitter and SoundCloud.